Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Biz Books. My name is Gene Marks, and of course, you know this show because we are both a podcast and a video, and we know that uh, every month, two times a month, I interview some really smart and great authors of great business books um, and see what we can learn from that. My guest today, David Meerman Scott. David is now on the eighth edition of the huh. new rules of PR and marketing. Uh, David, first of all, uh, thank you so much for joining. Hey, Gene, great to be here. Thanks very much. I know I can't believe it myself. The eighth edition. Where did the time go? <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit about the journey. Like, when did you first write this book? It wasn't eight years ago. So it was longer than that. How did you come to write it? And, and how did it evolve since? Sure. So um, uh, I was in the corporate world. Um, I worked uh, first in Wall on Wall Street. And then I worked for financial information companies like Dow Jones and Reuters. And back in 2002, I was fired for using the kind of marketing that I wrote about in the new rules of marketing and PR, I got fired because my marketing was too radical for the company I was working for at the time. And so I started to implement those ideas within companies as a consultant, like, wow, this is working really well. Mm -hmm. So I decided to write a book, which I started in 2005, mm -hmm. wrote throughout 05 and into sort of mid 06. And the first edition of new, the new rules of marketing and PR came out in uh, June of 2007. Wow. Almost exactly the same time as Twitter, almost exactly the same time as the iPhone one, almost exactly the same time as Facebook went from only students to everybody in the world. So um, dumb luck, I don't know, but my timing was impeccable. Yeah. <laughs> and because just at the at the moment that people were looking for how to implement these ideas, um, oh my gosh, I need to get a better website. I need to figure out what the social media thing is, although we didn't use that term yet. Um, I've got to figure out how to um, uh, do blogging. Uh, my book came out so and it hit the international bestseller list It's it's now in 29 languages and uh, I realized very quickly that it gets out of date quickly so <laughs> that's why that's why over the last um, uh, 16 years I've updated it eight times roughly every other year. That is amazing. And, um, you know, are you, uh, do you do like consulting for companies or do you the, pretty much make your income from the book and speaking and, you know, that kind of activity? Uh, it's actually changed. So when the book came out in 2007, um, I was a huge in demand speaker and I spent from 2007 to um, March of 2020, and we all know what happened in March of 2020. I think during the NBA, that period, the NBA shut down. That's what happened. Yeah, everything shut down, right? <laughs> so from from uh, from mid 2007 to March 2020, um, I was uh, pretty much full time speaking as well as advising companies. Um, on their advisory board in exchange for equity. So these are typically marketing and sales related software companies. Mm -hmm. uh, most notably, I've been on the HubSpot advisory board since the very beginning, still am. Um, and so it was advisory for equity and speaking. Mm -hmm. The pandemic hit, no speaking gigs. Mm -hmm. So I pivoted a little bit. Um, well, actually I should say I pivoted a lot. And today um, for the past couple of years, I've been super um, 
uh, happy to not get on airplanes every week, not do 250,000 air miles a year, not spend nearly 100 nights a year in hotel rooms, but actually um, enjoy being at home, enjoy. Uh, I've got a couple of different houses going to my vacation house in Nantucket Island, and uh, I bought a camper van. I love to hike. So <laughs> I love to surf, which is why there's a surfboard here on the on my on my left. Uh, actually, made this surfboard. So um, uh, it's been a great transition for me. And I do coach. I do coaching. Yeah. Uh, there's a big in my world. There's a big difference between consulting, which is what I did prior to the new rules of marketing and PR coming out uh, in a, a, about four year period after I got after I got sacked by the company I was working for. And before the new rules came out that four year period, um, I was doing full bone consulting. And what I do now I call coaching. Here's the difference. Consulting means there's a work product that has to be created a marketing plan, you know, write up ebook for me or something coaching. I just pretend I'm smart and help people out, which is a which is a big difference. And I and I actually kind of love it. So I typically work on a retainer basis. I've got about a dozen clients and we meet a couple times a month and I love it. It's great. It's super fun. And I help people out to uh, implement the sorts of ideas I talk about. You talked about video in the book and I, I have to also, cause you know, I, I told you before we even started recording, I didn't want to jump around a little bit, but um, that's good. It, it has really changed a marketer's life. Um, and a salesperson's life is, is what video has done. It is a, um, I look at you right now. I mean, when you, it is like fucking unbelievable. I mean, when you compare the technology to like 10 years ago, Oh yeah. Look like you're in a TV studio right now. Well, and, and this is a studio in my house that I in built for about $20,000. I've got, um, and you can see it's oh, got a full, full blown studio. Um, although it's not running now, um, this is where I show my slides. Yeah. Um, and then I can look into my other camera here and I can point to my slides. Um, or I and I don't have it running or I can go full screen with my slides yeah. uh, and then, you know, talk to the camera like this. And I'm controlling four cameras here on my with my left hand um, and I've gotten good at it now. Yeah. I used to I, I could have screw it up, but now I can. Oh, yeah, I go right over to the camera. Um, um, so it's good. And I've I've probably done, I don't know, uh, 50 uh, virtual presentations in this little studio. It's amazing how far video has come. Yeah. And, um, and this level studio five years ago, probably a million dollars. And now it's, you know, it's $20,000. And I went, I went high end. Um, I've got a great microphone. I've got great, great cameras. You can do it for a lot less than that. Um, but it is amazing. And uh, every company, and you look amazing too, where you are with it I love, is, all, the, you know, I love all the books in the background um, oh, as an author, background. As, uh, as an author, it warms my heart to see all those books back there. You know, the, uh, you know, cause I, I, I do a lot of speaking myself and um, when COVID hit that really pushed me, you know, obviously towards virtual. So I did the opposite of you cause I'm lazy and <laughs> uh, you know, slovenly, like I didn't want to invest and cheap. I didn't want to invest all the thing and set up a studio and I live in an apartment in Philly. So uh, yeah, it makes you know, it a little bit different. I, I'm it, lucky I had a spare room. room. Yeah, you've got I a just, spare room. I was, this, this room is only a studio. It's a spare room. It's great. So I set up a, uh, I, I have a friend of mine who has a, a video studio like three blocks from where I am right now. And he has a you know green screen little studio there. And he charged me five, 500 bucks. I go in there and I can do a presentation. Yeah, there you go. It's multi-camera. But I guess the point is, is that um, it, it's changed the way messaging gets out is video. It has Absolutely. enormous impact. And I guess it's a conversation. It's probably was, 
much less covered in version one and two of, of this book than you're covering it right now, correct? Well, version one and two, it was really hard to do video. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you needed a professional camera. I, I don't know when the iPhone first allowed decent quality video, but it certainly wasn't iPhone one. Mm. Um, and by the way, iPhone one, I, I, I have my iPhone one. I have its original box it, it, in the original box is worth $2,000. Yeah, if but you, you have used it. Right. If I no, I have used it. It's a yeah. used iPhone one. Serial number matches the serial number of the box. If you have an unopened iPhone one in its box, unopened, it's worth fifty thousand dollars. I just thought that was mind blowing to me. Um, but but you know what? The the newest couple of models, thirteen and fourteen iPhones fabulous video. I mean, just an iPhone, fabulous video. Yeah. The only thing to make it super professional is better sound. Yeah. So a lot of people um, will film videos on an iPhone, which is great. Don't get me wrong, do it, film yeah. it on yeah. the iPhone. But if you add one more element, which is perhaps a lavalier microphone with an external recording uh, device or even record into the iPhone itself, uh, and get that much better sound like you and I both have on this um, uh, video, that makes it great. And I, I've been studying a lot, Gene, on the neuroscience around why video is so important. And it comes down to something that all of us humans um, have that is goes goes back for tens of thousands of years, hundreds of generations, the idea that we all want to be part of a tribe of like minded people. And when we know somebody, they're part of our tribe. For example, I'm a huge fan of the Grateful Dead. I've uh, wrote a book called Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. Um, Every book I've written has at least some reference to the Grateful Dead. I've been to 91 Grateful Dead concerts. I own a, a guitar that Bob Weir, one of the founding members of the Grateful Dead, used for over 100 concerts David, in the David, 1980s. Just, I mean, I'm a Just think about I'm how much geek. better you would be if you didn't lose all those brain cells from going to those Grateful I'm, Dead I'm concerts. A, I'm a, I'm a, yes. Well, I think they, they, <laughs> I got rid of the cells I don't need and, and enhanced. Right. It was the ones that weren't being the used anyway. That I use. okay. but, but what's interesting about the neuroscience is that um, proximity is important. And the idea of being near somebody that's part of your tribe, and, and as a company, you can do that by bringing people together, having a conference or bringing a, uh, some of your best clients together for a dinner. This is important stuff because we feel safe and comfortable when we get to know someone like that. That's why when you walk into a room and your friends are there, you feel great. You walk into a crowded elevator with strangers, you feel uncomfortable. It's a natural human reaction. But what video does is it adds another form of neuroscience, which is called mirror neurons. Right. The part of our brains that fire when we see someone doing something as if we're doing it ourselves. And I'm going to demonstrate that for you. I've okay. got a lemon. Okay and a slice of lemon. You didn't know I had props, did you, Gene? Did not know, keep going. Um, and if I take a bite of this lemon, my brain fires from the from the eating the lemon. And, I, and I'm gonna do that now. Um, and, and my lips kind of get a little bit of funkiness on, on them. I, I mean, my eyes close, water a little bit, but my brain is firing, but your brain, are you feeling the lemon, Gene? No. You're not feeling the lemon. I bet, <laughs> I I bet some people, I, I can see, I, I'm seeing your expressions and your reaction to the lemon, and I do feel that. 
Yes. Right. Your feel you your brain is firing. Yeah. As if you are feeling the lemon, as if yes. you are the one eating a lemon. Even if you're only listening to this podcast, you're not watching us. Right. You you your brain will fire as you're thinking about biting into a lemon. Now here, I mean, there's a long drawn out story about neuroscience. And here's why this is important for video. You and I are not in the same room. Right. You're, uh, are you in Philadelphia now? I'm in Philly right now. I'm in, I'm just outside of Boston. So we're, I don't know, let me take a wild guess. We're 420 miles apart, whatever the number of miles is, probably less than that. Less than that. I, I, I'll, go, I'll go with 280. We're 280 miles apart. And, um, but we feel as if we're in the same room because of video. Right. Our intellectually, we know we're not in the same room. Right. But through mirror neurons, we feel we are in the same room. Right. Right. So that's why video is so important. And that's why during the pandemic, it took off is because we feel that same connection as if we're in the same room that same tribe of like-minded people people who watch um this podcast on a regular basis your regular thousands of regular listeners feel a, a connection to you gene and to your and to your guests so let's turn this let's turn this tactical then i mean you you were you know you're talking about all, all the benefits of video um you do cover you know some of this in your book um but you know okay we get it. Video is powerful. You do make that connection. Say you're a VP of marketing. Say you're a business owner. Say you're a marketing manager at a smaller or mid-sized video. Uh, how would you be incorporating video into your company? Um, I think it's important to be thinking about how video can be an important part but not, but not get so obsessive that um, that you know you drop everything and right. and do video, video, video. So, uh, I recommend that if you can get a video on the homepage. I recommend if you can have um, um, profiles of customers, profiles of employees, and natural is good. Right. Um, highly produced, um, it just feels like it's highly produced. Whereas if you do something that feels authentic, I, I mean, I don't like the word authentic, but I can't think of a better one right now that feels like, oh, here's someone who's just talking to me like you and I are doing right now. Yep. So, um, you know, and some people are not as comfortable on video as you and I are because we've done it so many times, but, you know, do a couple of takes, get it right and um, and have Hey, here's our our director of, of of research and development, and you know you've got your camera, uh, good good microphones important. Hey, you know what do you love about your job? What do you love about creating the products and services here at this company? Um, just get them to riff on that for a while. Find thirty seconds, forty five seconds, a minute that's interesting, mm. and put that as part of their bio on your website, not just the headshot and they went to this school and that school um, and uh, and they love their kids, which is what most people do, but have a video of why they love their job or why they love the uh, industry or, or or what they do on their free time even. Um, why did you say, super interesting stuff. Why did you say that you don't like the word authentic? I mean, that that does sound authentic. Is it just because it's become- um, I, it's, it's a word that I think is overused and okay. the way that people sometimes overuse it is not really what I'm thinking about here. So. 
um, the concept of being authentic is great because that that's really what I'm trying to get at here is, is imagine that you're sitting across from somebody at, um, at a Starbucks or at a nice dinner and you share sharing your, your drink of choice um, and just getting to know them. And, and wow, this is great. I, I, you know, this is, I'd rather be here than anywhere else at this exact moment. That's the kind of feeling that you want to try to get on video and video can do that. Sure. Um, I feel like because video has become so popular and many of the channels, you know, whether that's YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or the other Facebook, the other channels that, that optimize video, um, what tends to become popular are the things that feel authentic to that particular audience. So be thinking about for your business, who are you trying to target? What feels authentic to them? And I want to give you an example. Sure. Um, I love the example of a dentist. His name is Dr. John Marashi. I've got to know him uh, three or four years ago. I met him at a conference where I was speaking. I was talking about these ideas and he goes, David, I'm a dentist. What are you talking about video? You know, I have nothing I got to show on video. No one wants to see a video of me drilling into someone's teeth. I actually have um, to interrupt. I have to interrupt you. Like I, I actually subscribe to this Dennis YouTube channel where he's literally drilling into people's teeth. Oh my gosh. It, okay. I find it nice. fascinating. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, I mean, that's different approach, but what, what, so I said to Dr. John Marashi, I said, what do you love to do? And he says, I love to skateboard. And I said, well, why don't you do some videos of you skateboarding? So he actually went all out with this. He now in his dental practice in California has skateboards on the wall. Um, he will occasionally skateboard from one examination room to another. He, he, I want to make it clear. He doesn't stand on a skateboard when he's working on a patient. Okay. All right, I got you. Um, and he's got videos on his website, videos on his Instagram. His Instagram now has, um, I believe it's over 30,000 followers, wow. videos of him skateboarding. Wow. And he contacted me about a year later and said, David, I want, I want, I want you to know I've measured that just adding videos and photos of me skateboarding, doing what I love, doing what I'm passionate yeah. about, yeah. has increased the number of new patients by 30% and increased my practice revenue by 23%. Amazing. That's amazing. And uh, because, because here's what's interesting, Gene, is we all are attracted to those who are passionate. Yeah. And you know, that's one reason why I've got a surfboard and, 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 a, and, a, and a model of a Saturn V rocket and, <laughs> and my Grateful Dead logo here, because those are some things I'm passionate about. Sure. Um, and we, we are attracted to people who, are, who have passion. And, and the more you can show that passion, to the outside world, whether it's passion for your clients, passion for the business or the industry you're in, passion for something you love to do outside of your work, yeah. um, the more people will want to do business with you. Okay, so I'm going to do something very unusual. I, I've never done this on this on this podcast. Uh, you're going to eat a lemon on camera? No, not that. I usually <laughs> uh, I usually stick to the topics of the book. But listen, David, I mean you are a marketing expert. You've been doing this for a number of years. And I have to get your take on a on a big marketing issue that's in the news today and this week. Now, um, for guys, for those of you guys watching and listening to this, we're recording this like the middle of April. So by the time this comes out, it's going to be a few weeks from now. So more events will have transpired. But Alyssa Heinerscheid, I had to bring this up on my phone, is the VP of marketing for Bud Light. Okay. <laughs> And, you know, this week, 
there is this huge news story because Bud Light, uh, she is like a millennial age woman. She, uh, hopefully you're following this story because, you know, it's, it's- I'm not, this is a new story to me, but, so I'm glad so, to hear about it. So I want, I want to get your take on it. So she's a VP of marketing. Uh, she's a millennial age person. She came on board at Bud Light and said, hey, we need a rebranding. Uh, the brand's getting stale. We're, we're losing market share. We need to do something different. We need to embrace, you know, new people, okay? Yeah, so, okay. They launched a campaign um, with a trans person, um, Dylan Mulvaney. He's got a very big following online. And okay. it's not a discussion about trans. It's just she's, yep. she's got a big following. And the, mm -hmm. the point is to show the diversity of Bud Light and to try and reach out to, you know, sure. all his audience, whatever. So they brought brought Dylan on as a uh, as a as a spokesperson, and mm -hmm. um, they they made like a special line of like Bud Light cans with you know Dylan's picture on it, and you know she's been out there as a spokesperson talking about Bud Light whatever. Anyway, huge backlash. Okay, of course, you know, yeah. it's very controversial issue, and some yep. people are really yeah, and and so some people think it's great, some people are saying it's woke. I can I mean, I, with, without even without even reading about it, I can see what's you can see what's like, going on. We had like Kid Rock made a little mountain of a uh, Bud Light cans. It was like at a viral video where he was shooting the Bud Light cans. It's yeah, yeah, give you yeah. An idea of what's going on. Okay, right. But here's here's the other thing, and I'm going to get to my question for you about your take. Is is um, as I'm speaking right now. Bud Light has lost $6 billion in market value yeah. since the campaign was announced. Just so doesn't surprise me. Yeah, we're not just talking about like a wokey or a uh, but whatever, but this is like dollars. You can imagine their institutional investors are yeah. beyond themselves. Now, first of all, this is a woman who's like, she's trying to shake things up and trying to do yep. something different. I'm sure she sure. buy in from others in the executive team or whatever. Yes. I don't even know by the time this gets published, David, if she's even going to have a job because who knows, yes. you know, the way corporate America works. Of course. And I just, I guess that's, so my question to you is not only what your, what your take is on this as it applies to any marketing person or business owner who wants to do something a little different or maybe even something a little controversial yeah. and the risks involved. Like, yes. what, what are your thoughts on, on a situation like that? Is that, do you mind well, me asking you? No, first of all, the first thing going through my mind is they've gen, she, the, the marketing person is a woman. I think you said, it right? is a woman. Yes. Okay. So she has generated a ton of interest in Bud Light. She has a, a ton of interest in she Bud has. Light. She has. Um, and so um, for a lot of people, if you think of a couple weeks from now, a couple months from now, they're not going to remember the issue, but they're, they might remember Bud Light and they might decide to choose to buy some to in a bar or in a, in a supermarket or whatever, where they buy their beer. Um, so that's interesting to me. It is. It's, in, it's interesting to me that she didn't try to do a rebranding. She didn't try to do something incredibly radical. It's just a, it's just a spokesperson. Yes, a <laughs> um, and so you can run a, a short term campaign a couple of weeks or even a couple of days, generate a ton of attention and move on. So I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and I think often uh, and, and this has been proven with Nike. Uh, you know, when Nike has um, has done some things that are controversial over the years and, and you know, people burn their Nikes and whatnot, a lot of that is not people who are current fans of Nike, mm. but people who say, oh, Nike shouldn't be doing this kind of marketing. I'm going to protest it. 
Well, they're not a customer and they're not losing anything. So I don't know the demographics of Bud Light, but I'm wondering in my mind, are the people who are complaining existing Bud Light, Bud Light drinkers or not? Right. Maybe there's a combination. So those are the things that are going through my mind. But um, I think I would applaud her for, for taking that chance and, and also applaud the chief marketing officer and the CEO and everyone else who had to buy in as, hey, you know, it's generating attention. Can, can I throw one at you? Yeah, also, right ahead, also, also this week, I've been giving a lot of thought about this. By the time uh, this episode runs, I will have written a blog post about it. Okay. Um, HBO changed their name to Max. <laughs> changed their name to Max. Yeah, yeah. I have a strong opinion on that. What is your take, Gina? <laughs> um, so I'm a huge uh, watcher of TV, and okay. um, I subscribe to HBO Max. Um, like Succession, and I don't want to give a spoiler to anybody, but uh, Succession is all about taking over. You know, is, is the, the main character of Succession the old man you know, that that you know? Um, he is again spoiler alert he died in the last episode but if you've been watching succession we've been kind of leading up to that it's yep. in, it, it's called succession hbo bought cinemax if you remember you know them i don't know how many years ago 10 15 years yeah. ago and they have been merging the hbo and the max you know names their brands together and my take is that at some point their market analysis has shown that Max has got more of a uh, an impact on their audience than HBO or HBO Max. And so because they've been going toward that direction anyway, this has just been the succession of moving towards that next brand. Interesting. Um, and secondly to that, um, if it's of any interest, like I listen to, I, I'm a big fan of Smartless, which is a podcast uh, with Will Arnett and Jason Bateman and Sean Hughes, and it's absolutely hilarious. Um, so they're releasing a show on HBO uh, mm-hmm. that's like a live show of their podcast. But they're calling, they're, it's on Max. They're saying, you know, coming up on Max. They just yeah. are doing the trailer. And um, and I knew immediately what they meant. Like when they okay. said it was going to be on Max, I was like, oh, it must be on HBO Max or HBO. Like it didn't, as a, as a viewer, as a fan, it had no impact on uh, my recognition of the brand or anything like that. And finally, if I can say, um, I'm 58 years old. HBO was one of the very first cable movie, you know, channels yes. out there. Yep. So it's been around for like 40 years. Yeah. You aged a bit. And right. Um, okay. It, it, fast. I'm fascinated. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad I asked you because I have the opposite opinion. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, I, I'm a. I'm a little bit older than you, so I remember HBO when it started, and 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 that 40 years of brand history to me is something valuable that I'm not sure I would have gotten rid of. Yeah. I feel. I feel like dropping HBO is like dropping um, the crown jewels and saying, you know, the. Uh, we're we're not Rolls Royce anymore anymore. We're Max, or you know, just like a, a, taking a, a great name that's memorable and and dropping it. Um, and then I think Max. First thing I thought of is seven three seven Max, which is the the airplane, <laughs> the Boeing airliner that's been that had that had that had two crashes that um, <laughs> Boeing Boeing had to completely shut down their the assembly line and spent years fixing it billions of dollars off the stock price of the 737 max aircraft right right um and i am not a big um movie watcher um i actually recently canceled my hbo 
subscription. Not, you just wasn't watching it enough. Um, so I'm not necessarily their target market, but I felt as a marketer that taking a name that millions, hundreds of millions of people know and changing it, and to my mind, it was changing it because I, the Max didn't imprint, imprint on my mind. Mm. It was HBO that was imprinted mm. on my mind. Mm. I thought that was a miss, but time will tell, I guess. I will, time will, of course, tell. And I'll argue back with you that you you dropped HBO, um, even though you're not a big watcher. Maybe rebranding with a whole new name may put that, you know, position that brand in a different light to you two years from Maybe. now. Maybe. Yeah, could be. And the beauty be. of it all is uh, we don't know. Um, I, I love it. This gets back to the Bud Light thing. And I think you and I are in agreement on the fact that I do like it when marketers take risks. And yeah, I do too. They, they're trying to shake things up and it's a new world yep. and, and they try to move it on. We only have uh, like 10 minutes or so left. And I, I, I have to, and again, you do, you included in your book, um, a new section on AI and machine. I did. Yeah. So I, I'm going to give it out there because it's so in the news and I'm right. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm utterly obsessed by it. Um, tell me, tell I, me, put it into perspective for our viewers, for our listeners. Again, marketing is such a critical part of, of our businesses. Talk to me about your thoughts on chat GPT, AI in general, conversation sure. AI now and in the future, how do you think that will change a marketer's life? Um, thank you for this question. Um, very, very much on my mind. And I want to I want to say that the uh, the new edition, eighth edition of the new rules of marketing and PR came out before chat GPT. Yes. Yes. Nothing about chat GPT in it. However, there's a whole chapter on AI because I've been following AI and using AI for three or four years now. I'm an advisor of several different AI, AI companies uh, and an investor in several AI co uh, companies. I'm using it in my work all the time. Um, I think AI and is absolutely gonna be transformational for all uh, uh, markets, all businesses, all industries, all job functions, but especially for marketers, it's going to be, and people who do marketing for their business, if they're running small companies, even if they don't, don't consider themselves a marketer, super, super important. Mm. Um, so ChatGPT in particular um, is such an easy way to just mess around and get a sense of what, um, of what um, artificial intelligence is. Now, what I think of AI and, and, and marketing or AI and anything, I like to think of two things, the data and the math. And that's all that AI is. It's math applied to data. So the question becomes, whose math is it? In this case, it's from a company called OpenAI, and they named their math ChatGPT. It's basically how um, the, the system um, interrogates an enormous database, which is essentially they pulled from the public internet. So that's the data, math plus data. ChatGPT's math, um, and what you can get with their basic service is um, using the public internet data. So I invented something called newsjacking. It's a full chapter in um, in the new in the new rules of marketing and yep. PR. The eighth edition has been for several editions. The newsjacking has become so popular that it's now in the Oxford English Dictionary, and I'm the dude who invented it. If you type in what is newsjacking into ChatGPT, it's pulling my stuff because it's on the public internet. I don't have a any kind of password protection. I did not try to copyright it. It's and that's totally cool because that's the way that I went out for it. So 
That's one way to use AI. I think what's really- I gotta interrupt you, I gotta interrupt. just for oh, our please. viewers and, and, so, and you could certainly get a lot more detail about newsjacking, but just describe for us very quickly what newsjack, we, yeah, we were doing a little bit of it just before, but- Yeah, yeah, we, we, we were. Newsjacking is injecting your ideas into a breaking news story uh, in order to ge get, generate attention for your business. So we were just talking about Bud Light. Imagine if, for example, a bar said, oh, we're going to make free Bud Light between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m. on Saturday. And they're doing that because they're, they're piggybacking, I call it newsjacking, off of a news story. Right. Or maybe Miller Light says, oh, well, we're going to do this in order to take advantage of the Bud Light story right. that just came out. Right. So that's the idea of newsjacking in any organization, big or small. I just gave an example of it's what a, great a, example. Small, a small organization, a bar or a big company, uh, another beer company could potentially do to piggyback or newsjack off of the, uh, of the Bud Light story that we just talked about. So getting back to artificial intelligence, where I think um, very few people are talking about, which I th but I think is fascinating, and I think all marketers and businesses should be thinking about, is how to take the math and the data, uh, the math from somebody who's created a great um, uh, program, AI program, against your, your data. data. <laughs> Yes. Your own data. Yes. And I'm already I'm, I'm, I'm doing that personally in two ways. I want to explain those very briefly. Um, and I think this is super powerful stuff. And as you're thinking about AI, anyone who's listening in on this, thinking about AI, think about how you can apply artificial intelligence to your own data to do something super interesting. So I use a service called Lately. Uh, Lately.ai, I happen to be an investor and an advisor to the company, but what they do is they take long form text or video or audio content and break it into short form uh, social media posts. Uh, and then you're able to put those social media posts into a calendar app and have those posts go out on a, on a, on a, a, ba a basis that you choose. So here's what it means on a practical basis. Mm -hmm. I'll take a blog post, long form text content, maybe 800 words. I'll um, put the URL of the blog post into Lately, mm -hmm. their AI engine. So remember, AI is data and math. So Lately's math against my data, which is a blog post, will then create somewhere between five and 20 tweets right. from my blog post. Right. So what's important here is it's not grabbing stuff from the public internet that you don't own, right. like something that, that, that someone else created and making a tweet from it, because technically you, don't, you, you didn't write that. But if it's your own content that then is created in a different way, right. super easy, it takes seconds, right. that is really interesting to me. And then I, um, I just push a button and I say, um, send the, these tweets every other week um, until they run out. Um, and so I, that's one example of this idea of data and math, data from some company. I'm sorry, data from you, from yeah. me in this case, uh, math from somebody else. Here's another example. Okay, I, just I just finished a project where I've taken chat GPT math and I'm applying it now in a closed system just in my office for um, um, 
all of my 19 years of blog posts, mm. one th I actually counted them, 1,500, I didn't count them manually, I just yeah. looked at them, <laughs> 1,589 blog posts in 19 years, and the text of six of my books that are marketing and sales related. So what do I have? I have, not, I have nearly 1,600 blog posts. I have um, uh, all of the content of six books, and yeah. two of those are Wall Street Journal bestsellers. One's a Business Week bestseller. And then all of that is my closed database, my data, ChatGPT's math, and I, can, I use that all the time now. I say, hey, create a blog post about and type a subject in, and it's pulling my data, my proprietary data, runs a blog post, bang, I can put that up on my blog. It's taken me a couple of minutes to create a blog post, whereas using the brain, um, wetware rather than the software, then it, 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 it takes much, much longer. Um, um, so it's real, and I'm, I don't know if I'm going to release this on my website and say, here's my chat bot that you can access all of my content or not. I'm just not sure yet. Sure, I'm thinking sure. about it, but, um, it's an interesting but imagine, model. for example, a, a much better way of doing FAQs, frequently asked questions. If you've currently got an FAQ page on your site and there's like 200 random questions. Why not take all of your user manuals, all of the content you've ever created, all of this stuff, drop it into a closed database, put some AI against it, and people can write natural language queries um, of, and rather than having a, a standard FAQ, which never really works out so well. Um, there are so many different applications for this kind of thing, which is your data against uh, uh, an AI um, application of some kind. So I'm really bullish on those ideas. I think that you have hit it right on the head. Um, right now, we're we're playing around with public data on the internet, which is fine, and we'll have a lot of yeah. It's I mean, I think it's great because yeah. it's giving you a chance to think about how this stuff works. But then, oh my gosh, how can I then create something using I'll, my I'll tell data? What excites me? I just want to say, like you know. Um, uh, Bard, Google's AI engine yeah. excites me. And it's, first of all, Google is, they, they were already, you know, well advanced along, you know, the conversational chatbots, just like AI, but I uh, like open AI, but uh, they were kind of forced into releasing a little bit early. They trust yeah, me when I tell you it's Google, they're going to get, you know, to a, a high many, level. Of accuracy. Many, people, many people believe that they've got a way better model that um, is and, sitting, sitting, sitting in some server somewhere that, they may or may not release, but that's what I'm hearing. And to your point, um, you know, when you talk about the closed data, just think about, you know, you know, telling Google they've got your Gmail history, they've got your Google, you know, Docs history. And by the way, Microsoft's doing the same thing on Office. Of course, you can be like, yeah. I need you to go through all of my all of my Gmails and all of my Docs, find these customers that hit this criteria yes. that might be interested yes. in this, and send out. All now, my company, um, my my day job is we sell CRM systems. So right. uh, we implement Salesforce and Zoho and Dynamics and a couple others. Yeah, yeah. So imagine if you had you know a, a Chat GPT or a Bard that was using my closed data, my CRM system, where I could be like, please find everybody with blue eyes and green hair who's an Eagles yeah. fan who bought this product that might be interested in that product. Compare you know you know com, can, you know compose this type of an email and send it out to. I right. think that is 
blows my. I mean, I think that is where the real power is going to be. Just and, and, and and that's um, I, I I use uh, I mentioned earlier I'm on the advisory board of HubSpot and I use HubSpot myself. Yep. They've just put a Chat GPT um, interface. They call it, they call it um, Chat Spot, which is a cute name, <laughs> um, uh, over the top of HubSpot, and you can do much of the things you just talked about. I can go in and say, let's say I'm I have a speaking engagement in I don't know, let's say Singapore. Right. Um, how many people subscribe to my blog in Singapore? I can ask it natural language bang they tell me and i said send them um if i how many of those people am i following on social media bang and tell me i can then perhaps direct message them yes um or message them on linkedin or whatever i happen to be connected hey, i'm going to be in singapore in uh, three weeks yes. when i get yes. together i mean i couldn't do that before there's data it's too much data i could never have done that yeah, it's very, it's very exciting stuff. Well, David Meerman Scott, do you go by David Meerman Scott or just David Scott? Um, so there's a, there's a story behind that. Um, uh, when always? I, when <laughs> I see there is, um, when I started my business, um, 21 years ago, um, I decided I wanted to write and, and have a blog and do all these sorts of cool things. And um, Google didn't exist, or maybe it, it didn't yet. Maybe the company did, but they didn't have a search engine yet. So I, I went to Yahoo, I typed in David Scott. Uh, there's a David Scott who walked on the moon. There's a David Scott who's a member of Congress from Georgia. There's a David Scott who's an Ironman triathlon champion. So I said, well, shoot, I, there's all these David Scotts who are all these you know top hits on Yahoo. So I decided to use my middle name, which is Meerman. And um, so that's the name I use. It's on all my books. It's on my website and stuff. Um, but I'm David. And uh, and but that was a great, great thing to have done. I think it's one of the most important things that I've done is just to make myself unique on the web. Yeah. And uh, if you're thinking about starting a business, if you're thinking about renaming a business, if you're thinking about naming a product, many people will go through a um, trademark search. But go through a Google search too and see if you can own that real estate on the web uh, because it's super important. The book is called The New Rules of PR and Marketing. It's in its eighth edition. I've been speaking with David Meerman. Scott, David, I, I have eight pages of notes I took on this book. I got to none of it because we're, nice. <laughs> yeah, just, it's uh -huh. too topical. I had to get your thoughts on some of these things. That's awesome. I'm, 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 I'm glad you did. It was a fabulous discussion, Gene. I'd love to uh, meet up one day in person and, and, and sit across a real table from you and have a chat. And maybe actually do another one where we actually talk about your book. But for guys who haven't read <laughs> the book, it is a great book. And like I said, I read through it um, cover to cover and really enjoyed it. It is a great, great um, playbook for anybody that's uh, trying to grow their business and trying to learn more about marketing. And it is very, very current. Uh, David, people can reach you at davidmeermanscott.com or at davidmeermanscott.com. Or as we just said, put type that into Google. You got all sorts of stuff about me. Uh, on most of the social media, I am DM Scott, D-M-S-C-O-T-T. Very good. Well, first of all, thanks for joining. I'm going to stop the recording in a minute, so don't leave. But I want to thank you for joining. Um, so thank you. And everybody, thank you for watching. You have been watching another episode of Biz Books. My name is Gene Marks. We'll be back in another two weeks with another great author. Probably not as great as David, but close. Yeah. Uh, we'll be talking that. about whatever book that they wrote. Uh, join in and tune in. We will see you then. Take care.